right. Hello there, everybody. Hey, welcome to the At Nerdvana Live. Uh, this is, uh, what episode are we on now? Five this or six? This is six. Holy business. <laughs> We've done six of these in a row. It's a live weekly video call-in show. Uh, we're streaming via YouTube and Twitch. We're also available as an audio podcast. So if you want to check us out on iTunes or wherever you get such things, you can do that and listen to us on the way to work t- on Monday or whenever. Uh, I'm Randy Pitchford. I'm hosting again this week. This is Elisa. Hello. Uh, Elisa Melendez is the new media manager for Gearbox Software. We're One of currently... these days we're going to talk about what that actually means. Right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe this is the day. <laughs> Today's the day. <laughs> we are broadcasting live from At Nerdvana. We are in a booth that sits above the At Nerdvana Coffee Plus shop. And uh, the At Nerdvana Food Plus Spirits. It's a restaurant and bar that's video game themed with awesome food. Uh, and, uh, and the coffee shop, of course, is board game themed. And uh, they're great. And they're right here in Frisco, Texas. So if you are anywhere near uh, da- the Dallas area, North Dallas, Frisco, Plano, any of, that, any of those areas, come on, check us out at Nerdvana. Uh, after the show, I'm going to stick around and have dinner. Uh, uh, and if you want to say hi, you're welcome to come up and, and, and meet me, uh, if you happen to be in the area and I'm probably going to get the pork chop because I've been looking at that on the menu. I saw someone else order and it was freaking mad. It looked like a Fred Flintstone kind of thing because the bones were sticking up in the air and it was like, uh, it was pretty rad. It looked like a Bronto burger at, uh, you know, with Fred Flintstone. But uh, but it's it's great and and we'll be around and um, let's see so uh, uh, we've got uh, we've got the ability to call in we want to talk to you this is a live show that means anything can happen so uh, also there's a new Discord channel so if you're on the interwebs and you don't want to use your phone to dial in a phone number like uh, like the old people do. <laughs> You can uh, use the internet and uh, use Discord to to communicate with us, and we'll get you on the air. And we've got little screeners that'll uh, Joe will, will take your call uh, or your Discord connect and, and say, "Hey, what's up?" and it'll give us a little bit of information, and we can talk to you. And today, I'm, I'm hoping what I'm hoping is that some people will want to call in and share uh, ideas about video games, games that you wish we would make or somebody would make or things you wish yeah. we would do with our games. Um, I want to I hear what, what's on your mind. I'm curious. I love that kind of that conversation. And, uh, and so I'm hoping that, that people that want to influence uh, uh, what, what we're doing want to call in and give us some, some clues about that. What do you think? Maybe think this will happen. So um, somewhere, 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 uh, our, our legal team is is probably just erupted into eh, flames. But eh, it'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be fine. It'll be fine if someone's you know, every, everything works itself out. Everything <laughs> works itself out. So uh, let's see. I've been crazy busy. Yeah, I've, you I, have. I wasn't here last week. How did it go? I think it went very well. We you, we we actually got a call from uh, from multiple people. All in the guise of the one Jim Ferranda. Oh, okay. So we got to hear from Isaac, Oscar, Mike, oh, Minrek. It was yeah, amazing. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool. We talked a lot about 
narrative and character design and how writing influences character and vice versa and all that that's super awesome. fun stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I saw, uh, speaking of characters, I saw the new uh, Ready Player One trailer yes. that just came out. And another Gearbox character is in the trailer. El Dragon from, uh, from Battleborn uh, was an avatar in the Oasis. <laughs> so somebody, somebody wants to be El Dragon when they're in the virtual reality of the Oasis in the fictional world of uh of of ready player one uh which is uh steven spielberg's uh film adaptation of ernie klein's awesome fiction novel if you haven't had a chance to read ernie klein's book check it out uh ernie klein is just like us he likes all things nerddom video games uh, cool nerd stuff. He drives a DeLorean that's been tricked out to be like Back to the Future. What? You didn't know that? That's awesome. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's got a flex capacitor and everything. And uh, except if you open up the back and you pull out like in the ba- the hatchback in the back of the DeLorean instead of what you'd expect to be in the back of a DeLorean, he's got some proton packs like it's a uh, like uh, like a, a Ghostbusters. <sighs> DeLorean. It's pretty bizarre, uh, but it's real and it exists and I've been in it and it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So check out Ernie Klein's book, Ready Player One and check out the movie. And in, in the first uh, teaser trailer for that, uh, Duke Nukem. Yes. Appearance. And I, I have a, uh, I have it on. My understanding is that other things uh, that people are interested in will have cameos Ooh. Uh, in in the Ready Player One film. I was gonna ask. <laughs> so it should be fun. It should be fun. So man, it's been it's been busy for me though. What I have haven't you been doing? I haven't really had any chance to play video games, which is really um, I, I played a little bit of Shadows of War last Saturday. That was really the last time I've had a good shot to play video games, and that's really frustrating because. Uh, on Thursday was launched Hello Neighbor. Yes! I hope you guys are checking that out. Our friends at Tiny Build uh, created this, well, brought this awesome, awesome game. Um, if, you, if you're not familiar with Hello Neighbor, uh, the premise is uh, someone has moved into the house next door, mm-hmm. and it seems like they're doing some really creepy stuff in the basement. So, of course... You've got to break into their house and sneak down to the basement to find out what the hell they're doing, because that's what you do when you're not sure. You just break in, yep. and uh, and of course the the neighbor doesn't want you to be doing this. <laughs> so it's a cat and mouse game, and the neighbor has some pretty cool AI, and you've got to use the environment to kind of trick trick the neighbor into going this way while you go that way, and it's it's really fun. Uh, but I haven't played through the the, the retail game yet. No, um, I'm looking forward to it. And if you want a physical copy of that game, like from Best Buy or Walmart or GameStop or Amazon or wherever it is you shop, that is possible because Tiny Build trusted Gearbox Publishing to bring that title uh, to the public. So that's pretty cool. And I'm looking forward to playing the retail game. I played um, some earlier builds of it that were really, really interesting. That game's got something to it for sure. Have you tried it yet? I have not tried it yet. 
But oh, I hear it is it is a phenomenon. I'm super, super excited to try it out. Right on. Uh, in other news, uh, Christy, uh, uh, my wife, who happens to own at Nirvana and lets us use this cool booth here, um, she finished Assassin's Creed Origins. Whoa. So that, that was possible. <laughs> <laughs> Define she, finished. Yeah, she hasn't 100%ed it. She yeah. just completed the storyline. So she's kind of debating right now whether she goes back and does the full completionist thing or if she jumps mm. onto some other games. Because the queue's pretty big right now. There's a lot of great stuff out there. And we're all burning through it. Um, but yeah, my weeks... Uh, so I, I, I spent most of the work week just in full-on crunch mode. Um, we Just an amazing, amazing work week at Gearbox. Uh, but um, on, let's see, Sunday and Monday, I was out of town and uh, yesterday I was out of town and I, it's been basically uh, magic life for, <laughs> me, for me. So that was, that's been pretty cool. Um, is anybody, uh, if anybody on here is from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, I was, in, I was up in you uh, a couple, uh, uh, just a few days ago. It was uh, David Blaine, uh, who is a magician, uh, was touring. And he is, you know, he, he's done a lot of television shows, a lot of television specials, some amazing work in magic and also endurance and stunts. And uh, but he's never done a tour with a state with stage, you know, like oh. on stage. He's never done that before. Huh. It's like 25, 20, 25 years. And he's never uh, done the stage tour thing. So he finally put a show together um, working with some incredible uh, magicians some people we know and um and uh he david was very kind and he uh came to the genie convention uh some people know that i own a magazine called genie magazine which is the oldest magazine for magicians if you have any interest in learning the arcane arts or becoming a magician or if you are a magician uh check out geniemagazine.com or genieonline.com and you can subscribe to genie magazine and get all kinds of great stuff but anyway we have a convention and uh, Richard Kaufman, the editor of the magazine, puts, put together this incredible program, and, and he managed to get David Blaine to agree to come, uh, and he did uh, 90 minutes of inside baseball, basically, <laughs> talking about his material and, and the things he's learned along the way. That's awesome. And I promised him that I would go and check out his show uh, uh, before the tour ended. And he has played really interesting venues. Uh, David did not go to any of the big cities. Mm -hmm. um, he played like, you know, I think like Boise, Idaho. You know, and n nothing wrong with Boise, but it's not one of the bigger you know, venues in the world. And he played like um, El Paso, Texas, you know, things like that. And, uh, but he, but the, I, think it was, I think it was the second to last show and it was in Cleveland. And that was the only one I could make uh, and the only reason why that show existed is because during the tour, uh, something went down where he had to cancel. Mm. Uh, he had four stops in Ohio, and he had to cancel those. And he promised he would come back and do them, so he picked them up and he did them. And, uh, and so that's, that's when I was able to get up there and get to see the show, and I'm really glad I did. Uh, I, you know, I, David, David's a great magician, um, but it was the coolest. I, I've never seen a magic show like it. Like usually, like a mag magic show is very scripted, mm -hmm. and you know, there's they do you know dumb magician-y crap, you know, girls in boxes and stuff. And um, 
David's show is super raw, very extemporaneous. There's no music, really. I mean, there's just a Ooh. little bit. Um, it was just him on stage, and it was there was a lot of magic in it, but there was also a lot of like endurance tests. And he put himself like he put a lot of himself into the show, and it was uh, it was insane. Uh, I I he I'll just say this: he the opener, um, he says, "Would you like to see?" the needle and thread trick or the card trick. <laughs> and he gets a bunch of responses. This is okay. I'll, can we bring out the medical table and somebody wheels out this like stainless steel table with these instruments on it. And he says, we're going to do the needle and thread trick. Okay. And he, you know, a needle is produced and examined by the spectators he has, has on stage. And he proceeds and he has somebody hold a mirror so he can see himself very clearly in this mirror. And he pinches his lips uh, with the noodle. Uh-uh. And he sews his damn mouth shut. No. Like, jam, like needle through the lips, sews his mouth shut. Yeah. There's a close-up cam on him. There's two spectators looking. It's real. He's sewing, he's sewing his damn mouth shut. No. It was great. <laughs> Snoping out, and there's more to it than that. And an awesome punchline. Uh, it's not just a like, look at me, I can sew my mouth shut. There's there's actually a bit to it, but I don't want to ruin it in case anybody does get a chance if he decides to do that tour again, which I'm not sure you can even do. Uh, the climax, you know, he he did this he did this live special once where he attempted to break the world record for holding your breath underwater, and his folks had to pull him out at seven minutes and 30 seconds, oh my seven gosh. minutes and 30 seconds. He was holding his breath wow. in this tank of water and he had to be pulled out. And this was like live on television and he did not break the record. Now Houdini's record was three minutes and 30 seconds. Wow. And he did. No, sorry. He did. He did seven Oh eight, seven minutes and eight seconds oh. on the TV spot. And I got to watch him, uh, not only break that record, but break 10 minutes, uh, live. Uh, and that was, that's something. So he's given a little bit of his brain cells every time he performs for <laughs> Clearly. us. And I don't know how many he's got left, but it's pretty cool to watch. Um, so that was something. Yeah. And then uh, on Friday night, we had, or Friday, no, sorry, Thursday during the day, mm -hmm. one of the things we did, I was able to take, um, after, I was literally after the workday. Uh, it's 6 p.m., our buddies Penn and Teller rolled into town because we're working on a, a VR project with Penn and Teller uh, called um, Penn and Teller VR, uh, frankly, unkind, unfair, underhanded, underhanded and on something else. Yeah, uncomfortable. Uh, something. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically Penn and Teller VR, F-U-U-U and you is what the subtitle is, F-U-U-U -U -U and you. And it's using VR to mess with your friends, basically. You can use virtual reality to just screw people over. The goal of the project, as, as stated by Penn, was I want people to come out of the ex each experience and say, you're a jerk, that was completely immoral, that was wrong, that was unethical, I cannot believe you did that to me, let's go do it to somebody else. Yep. That was, that's his objective. And, uh, and I believe he's succeeding. So they were in the studio. Uh, this is after work on Thursday, so that we could record. Uh, we could record some voiceover, and we recorded voiceover not merely with pen, huh. but we recorded voiceover with with Teller. Teller. Yes, recorded and voice. That's right. Over. That's right. And I, and you'll have to decide. You'll have to guess, since huh. most people have never heard Teller speak. 
you might not even realize that a voiceover voice is actually Teller. Uh, but he's he's in the he's in the he's in the game. <laughs> Teller talks, man. What? It's true, and uh, and it's pretty good. It's it's really good, and, and Teller nailed it. There's this one thing he had to do. Uh, it's basically a mentalism bit where he, Teller had the idea that it'd be fun if we kind of explain it, uh, how it works. But the ex- explanation is a lie. Um, and uh, but it, but he said it's got to be so extremely complicated, like one of those math problems with playing cards, that people think it's plausible. Uh-huh. And so we came up with the most complicated math problem imaginable. One of the guys on the team uh, wrote out in long form and script form the algorithm for spherical harmonics. Oh my gosh! And Teller nailed it. Like it, it's like ten pages. Uh, it's like the thing where we don't expect anyone to. It's kind of almost like Desert Bus. We don't <laughs> expect anyone to actually get through it. But uh, uh, he got he he got through it, and it was absolutely amazing. That's fantastic. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, so that was great. And then and then the next day after work, we drove up. Uh, drove up to Oklahoma and watched him perform at the Windstar Casino and Resort, which happens to be the largest casino in the world in freaking no Oklahoma, idea. 45 miles from Gearbox headquarters. Largest in the world. Yes, it's insane. And I, I learned they have a poker room up there, so I might have to drive up one afternoon and uh, uh, on a weekend and, and play a little bit of poker. It's a lot easier than getting to Vegas, maybe. <laughs> but that was really cool. Their show was amazing. There were 3,000 people there, and they absolutely, the energy in the room was incredible. And they had what was really cool for me is I've seen, obviously, I've seen Penn and Teller a bunch of times, and I know, I know a lot of their, their bits uh, inside and out. And there were a couple things that didn't quite go right, but the audience had no idea. Oh. And it was really fun to watch Penn and Teller, such pros. Uh, deal with the situations in real time and make things, if anything, even more entertaining for the audience. And uh, uh, as an entertainer, that was really enjoyable to watch that go down. Uh, And I will also say I happen to find love. They do this routine called the love ritual, and it involves uh, uh, tearing up playing cards and, you know, it's randomizing things and if things work out in the end that means you found love and I found love so I'm feeling pretty good about myself and I found love with the three of clubs which is a very special card and uh, yeah it was great and then uh, this this um, one more thing before we get to calls Uh, this morning I just got back from Los Angeles and last night, what I did, uh, I had I had a meeting in Los Angeles on Saturday. Like so, basically, I've I literally landed, came and did this. Oh my gosh! Um, so I haven't really had any free time. Um, but this was the thing I did on the in the evening uh, yesterday night was really cool. Um, uh, Houdini's estate is in Los Angeles on Laurel Canyon Boulevard, and it hasn't yet burned down. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's rough, man. I mean, there was smoke in the air, or maybe it was weed. I don't, but no, it was, it was, uh, I was smelling it, and um, it was rough, man. There's some, there's some brave people really fighting it out there in Los Angeles. So, anybody out being affected by the fires, my heart goes out to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, I saw it firsthand, um, uh, and saw, you know, what the brave men and women that are fighting these fires were, were able to deal with so far. It's just, uh, it's just unfathomable, mm-hmm. but. Um, but at the Houdini estate, uh, there, there was this presentation, uh, called 49 boxes and there's a magician named Floyd Thayer 
who built the Brookledge Theater in Hollywood in uh, around the, you know, and he, he, Floyd there was a very famous magician around the turn of the last century. And he built apparatus and props for magicians, including for uh, Houdini. And uh, he, uh, uh, the, 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 the premise of this, of this evening was that Floyd Thayer left behind after his death one last trick. And there were a, 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 literally piles of these ancient boxes. And inside of all these boxes were uh, letters from Thayer and apparatus and uh, uh, artifacts. Uh, and and they were, it was basically a combination of magic and puzzles uh, that and there were all these magicians in the house, and we all dug into these boxes and had to figure out Floyd Thayer's last mystery wow. uh, together. And it was the coolest thing. And, That's so uh, cool. It was. It felt. You know what it felt like? It felt like a reverse escape room. <laughs> like we were in. Like we were. We were fine, but we all had to break into these boxes. It had these crazy ancient locks, and it was. It was really cool. Um, and we actually there was one lock we couldn't get, and we had to bolt cutter it. Uh, but we ended up getting inside. There were like 13 locks on this giant box. It was freaking awesome. Um, I did this. I had to do this thing where, um, uh, uh, let's see, um, there was a typewriter where they, the, the, the keys had been rearranged. And this allowed it to become a cipher where one code could be typed with the typewriter and it would spell something different uh -huh. because the keys had been rearranged and was an ancient typewriter. Uh, there was another uh, thing where if you retranspose without even typing, you can know what letter should have been there because we know what a typewriter is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And that, that leads to a different uh, uh, set of phrases and that, that, that led to a, a whole solution. Um, there was an interesting ancient Chinese lamp that we had to figure out how to get operating and uh, and the lampshade when we got the thing operating the lampshade had symbols that would uh, look we could see the shadows of these symbols that were embedded into the lampshade and the symbols then led to a cipher which we were able to figure some other things out and then there was something which um, if there's any magicians watching they'll know um, there was a, a peace dollar a silver peace dollar, which was a, like 1921 United States currency made of silver. It's a silver dollar. And um, there was uh, in a completely different box and a completely different table, uh, there was a, a, a ring, an object that magicians know as a bang ring. And it was silver dollar size. And my box had the silver dollar and I'm like, I know it's up here. So I was able to put these things together and discover that inside the peace dollar uh, was a clue. <sighs> and, I had, and it was like only magicians would like know what to do there, but it was really cool. Um, anyway, it was a great <laughs> night, and we, we solved the mysteries of uh, Floyd there at the Houdini estate, and uh, it was really cool. And um, man, I've just been monologuing. What do you think? <laughs> should, we, should we talk to, uh, should we get to uh, some questions here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's yeah. do the thing. All right, cool. Well, let me take one call that's a call-in, and then I'll get to some Discord people. Sure. And uh, let's see what we got going on here. Hi, Evan. This is Randy. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, the characters in Borderlands have so many different interesting skills and abilities. How difficult is it to balance each of the characters and all of their skills? Wow. Oh man. Well, you were ready with that question. Um, <laughs> so you're from you're from Connecticut. Yeah. What's the weather like up there right now? 
ass. It's cold. Yeah. A little bit of snow on the ground. So it was 30 something degrees a couple of days ago here in Dallas and now it's 70. So we're okay. Um, <laughs> sorry about your luck being in Connecticut, but you'll get through the, you'll get through the winter. I believe in you. Um, I'll tell you, one of the things that's interesting about character balance is, um, it's never done. Uh, and it's never perfect. And, um, we had this philosophy when we started, um, that we'd rather just kind of go for things that we think are fun, uh, and get things in the game than be super dogmatic or, or hyper religious about perfect balance. And there are things that are kind of game breaking. You can mm. figure out certain, you know, there are some skill trees. And when I say game breaking, I mean, OP overpowered. Right. right? Um, that said, uh, it is, it is, there is a lot of attention uh, and and effort that goes into that. Um, in the past games, um, you know, we we get all the skills going. We do tons of beta testing on our side, including, and we do user research and focus <laughs> testing. But you'll even notice that even after we launched, there were some tweaks mm -hmm. uh, made to some of the skills, mostly bug fixes. Uh, but we did we did reserve ourselves. Now there are, you can find some examples where even after launch we did, uh, nerf some things, but for the most part, my philosophy was, look, man, if people find cool combinations that, um, make the game fun for them, that might even be a little bit exploitive, uh, eh, let them, let them have their fun. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, but it's, it's really an impossible problem. Uh, I'll tell you, I think we've gotten a lot better at it. Uh, one of the things we did between Borderlands two and now, uh, was, uh, the, the uh, we made a game called Battleborn right. and Battleborn has a, a zillion characters and they're all really different and they all have wild skill trees and wild abilities and the game can be played competitively. Mm -hmm. And so in a competitive environment, balance is really key and important. You can't have a character that can just dominate and overpower the game uh, and, and have a fair match. Uh, so, so balance became a more important goal for us with Battleborn. And a lot of the muscles we developed there and the skills we developed in, in that are, are uh, at work with games that are in development right now at Gearbox. And uh, and I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty excited by that. Now I still I still contend that in a in a single player or cooperative game it's okay if in the sake of fun there are some emergent properties or combinations that could be pretty extreme and powerful. I think that's still okay, and I think there can be fun in trying to discover those for players. Uh, I have fun discovering yeah. them when and I play. And I think it's pretty on brand for Borderlands, considering. Yes, <laughs> yes. yeah. Um, but there is there is a lot more skill and a lot more kind of developed muscle tissue at, in it, it Gearbox uh, for making more balanced characters. Uh, and, and I think that as you see some of the ga different games that we're working on, as they start to become announced and emerge, um, you're going to see some pretty, uh, you're going to see some wider, uh, skill types, some wider character types with, with, uh, more diverse and more, um, interesting and, and wild abilities than you may have seen in the past. And, and that's just, I think, because we're getting better at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that was, uh. That, that's uh, that's an interesting question. Did, do you think I answered it for you? Uh, yes, you definitely answered it. Thank you. Cool, man. All right. Well, hey, if you ever want to call back and talk about other stuff, feel free to do so. Thanks for your call. All right. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Bye, Evan. Thanks. That was fun. Sweet.
Um, cool. So, um, should we take? Uh, uh, we do not have okay. anybody here oh, on Discord. There was but somebody a second ago, but yeah. maybe maybe Joe didn't like him. Yeah, there's <laughs> <laughs> there 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 is somebody who's who's about to be on deck. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, what do you, I mean? Did, which which character did you, you played Borderlands too? Oh, right? yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and were you or did you play like you play Sirens? Don't you? Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Now why why Would do you, you choose why do you, why do you choose the like you played Maya in Borderlands too? Yes. And Lilith in Borderlands yeah. one. Yeah. So why why did you choose them? Well, so I kind of started off in my sort of gamer journey playing. Uh, mages in games uh-huh. like okay. Neverwinter Nights and World of Warcraft, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I felt like the Siren was kind of the closest parallel mm-hmm. to that, um, especially when it came to um, kind of matching elemental damage in World of Warcraft. I was just a full fire mage, and and as soon as I learned that there were guns that could set things on fire, I said, "Ooh, yay! Cool. <laughs> this is excellent." Um, so the idea of sort of doing kind of ranged stuff you know plus setting things on fire uh it was kind of the closest parallel for me there um and then also just on site um just identity of of the character um i i kind of gravitated to lilith right away yeah yeah i that's cool i mean i i'll tell you i played um I, I played Roland in BL1 as my main and i played axton in bl2 in my main as my main but i ended up probably spending I don't know. I mean, I, I played all the characters, of course, mm. um, but I, I I never really f- I never really played the game where I was trying to find that exploitive skill tree, you know, mm. like that. Like I never really overly min maxed it. I just sort of played it as it came, and made made choices about skills as as they came. Um, but I understand that there w- there are some pretty extreme builds for Salvador with the right gear uh, in Borderlands too. If you if you care about throughput, if you care mm. about throughput. But um, you know, every player's got a different. Um, interest, right? So throughput doesn't matter to everybody. And um, some people like the crowd control ability that my, the Maya house, yeah. for example, just outweighs any ability to do damage. And she can, by the way, throw down. Uh, there are certain builds that she has that can throw down. But, um, you know, some, sometimes I think that we've discovered that just having different capabilities that lend themselves to radically different play styles is almost enough when mm-hmm. you're making a cooperative game because uh, not everybody has the same uh, sort of objective in their build. And if you have different types of skills, then people will naturally choose the different characters. And the we, we, I think we improved in Borderlands 2 over Borderlands 1. Uh, uh, the evidence shows that the distribution uh, of players between the different characters was even closer than in BO1, right? I think that the least played character, the difference in the least played character and the most played character was like three percentage points. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Um, I don't I don't have the exact numbers memorized, but I remember the last time I looked at it, it was like that. Should we take another call? Sure. All right. Let's uh, let's see here. I'm gonna click this and let's see if this works. And if it works, we should be talking to Rachel from Louisiana. Is this Rachel? Hi, yeah. Hey, how's it going? It's going. How are you guys doing today? Great. Uh, how are you? Living the dream. <laughs> living the dream. Uh, so what's yeah, going on down in uh, what's what's going on down in uh, Louisiana? Well, I'm in northern Louisiana, uh-huh. so East Texas, pretty oh, much. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, it's fine. <laughs> no, I, I actually I did that wrong. Yeah. Here, here's the, I'll do the joke right. Uh, t- uh, tell me again. Where where part of where are you living again? I live in uh, Louisiana. I'm sorry. 
Northern Louisiana. Oh, no, I heard you. I'm sorry. Uh, That's the joke. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm messing. <laughs> okay. No, I'm sure it's great. Um, so so uh, what's on your mind? What's, uh, what's going on? Um, I actually have, like, I guess two questions I'd want to ask. Let's do it. Um, first one, I have a friend who's interested in working asking as a for graphic a friend. designer. For, Got it. Well, I am asking for a friend, and I'm going to ask a question for myself. Okay, cool. <laughs> let's, let's do um, this. I have a friend who she wants to work as a graphic designer, uh-huh. like for a company like Gearbox. Uh-huh. And we both try to do research and stuff like that on like what exactly graphic design for a game company would be like beyond like advertising and stuff like that Mm -hmm, because she mm -hmm. wants to start building a portfolio to sell herself as a graphic designer for video games and she doesn't quite know where to go from there yeah so um what what i I think the question i'd start with is what is like what does graphic design mean to uh your friend like what what kind of art is your friend in into what what does your friend want to make is your friend into um uh compositing uh images and and putting together layouts like what does graphic design mean to your friend um there's so many different specializations uh in video game development uh that that where some of the skills that you traditionally associate with a graphic designer can absolutely apply uh to game development uh but there's also uh some things that aren't aren't quite that so i'd start with where the passion is Mm. um where where is the passion because i've discovered that what people like to do uh, they tend to do a lot of, and people tend to get good at things they do a lot of. Uh, and so, uh, and, and, and that's the key is just getting good. Um, we, we, we are always interested in people that are better than we are. So if your friend can do anything at all that she's seen in any of our games and can do it better than we can do it, uh, we will absolutely want her on our team. Uh, now that said, there's all kinds of cool applications for things like graphic design beyond just building advertising. Um, obviously, there is a lot of um, uh, uh, comms about about our games, so uh, there are straight up advertisements. But there's also a lot of work on the web and work on first party stores and all kinds of things like that. Um, and and there's all kinds of we kind of call that all of that kind of work together. I tend to call it creative services where you have creative people that know their way around a bunch of different art programs that can, uh, 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 cut everything from or composite everything from from still images to to sometimes even video pieces that are useful for for communicating about uh, different things uh, and their specialization there. Uh, but there's also a lot of that work that goes into the games themselves. Uh, we we've got um, uh, we've we're, we're in a world now where uh, UI is increasingly designed. And um, both from a functional point of view, but from uh, 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 compositional and artistic point of view, um, there's a lot of style that goes into a user interface now from head-up display to menus. And uh, some of that work is technical, but a lot of the, the layout work, a lot of the kind of prototypical work, the, the sort of proof of concept work uh, is non-technical. And we do it all in 2D, and 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 you know sometimes we've got we've had people that lay out UI in in PowerPoint. Uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding, uh, just to show like, hey, what 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 would what would this look like? Uh, we can see it pretty fast. And then there's like a motion graphics aspect to it as well. So if people know how to make things move around and animate things with whatever tool gets the job done to to visualize it. And then once we visualize something, and and we can start to uh, 
agree on all the elements that need to go into it and and uh, how those elements interplay, uh, then it gets really fast actually to code it all up. Uh, the thing that that takes so much time in game development isn't the typing. Um, there's, you know, if if we had all of our programmers just nonstop typing, we'd be done with the game in a couple of months. Uh, the difficulty is in the iteration. Mm -hmm. It's in in dis discovering what needs to be typed, and and a lot of that can be discovered in in uh, layout form, uh, and not does not necessarily have to be engineered fully in order to realize uh, close enough to the vision. And graphic artists can be and graphic designers can be really valuable in that process. Uh, and I think that's increasingly becoming true. I think user interface is becoming more and more valuable in AAA games on Xbox and PlayStation. Obviously, you can already see examples in mobile where the entire value of the product yeah. is in basically user interface and head-up display kind of work, graphic design kind of work. Um, uh, there's a lot more to uh, to typically a lot more to a triple a video game on xbox or playstation uh but more and more we we care about that th those elements um whether we're talking about menus or head up displays or uh, other supplementary stuff that that functions with the game uh we have a game called a series called brothers in arms and uh it's mm -hmm. it's a, it's an historically accurate uh game we, we care about authenticity a lot and one of the components in the game is basically a a, a living interactive encyclopedia that connects the, the the video game experience to the real world history and a lot of the presentation of that is basically graphic design work and um and and there's uh, enough work there that can employ multiple people for a while. <laughs> so, so that's, uh, that, that's, that's one thing. And that's where it goes like the deepest. Um, but, but even in, in games like Borderlands, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff. And frankly, like there, there was a cool part of, uh, Battleborn, which is all about the lore and the character lore and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was pretty good. Um, I imagine that could even be better if we had more graphic design people that could invest themselves wholly in, in, in creating the presentation for the, that kind of experience. Uh, so there's a whole lot of stuff there. Did, yeah. did that, did that help at all or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It helps a lot. I guess, you know, uh, what would like, I guess you're saying like, if you want to, you want to kind of put up, if you're a graphic designer, you want to put a portfolio together kind of specifically about things that you're, you know, would rather focus on. In game design? Yeah, I mean, I, it, everyone's different when they recruit, but for me, I, what I care about is I, I, I don't want anyone, I, like, I want to work with people that really love what they're doing, you know? So, you know, we could, it's, yeah. e it's easy to hire people that were, they'll, they'll do what you say if you pay them, but that's not where you get the best result, right? The best results come from passion. And to me, the magic happens when you figure out how to, find the nexus between where passion and capability meet uh, the opportunity that exists in the marketplace and the need that a project might have. Uh, and, and when those things all come together, then, then magic happens. So I, I always would start from what what thrills the creator? Like what, what when you're talking about someone who likes to create things, what is most exciting about 
that creation and then let that mind itself think, okay, how can I take what thrills me about creation and make it valuable to a commercial effort? Like how do I tone, tune my, my skills or, or hone my capabilities and my interests towards what can be useful or valuable in a, in a, a commercial effort? And you can already see what's in Gearbox games. Uh, and and there's, a, you know, there's a lot of different types of Gearbox games and you can kind of see, well, what kind of work can I do and how could that be useful in some way? And, and if I got better and better at it, how could, I, how could I even maybe bring something to the table that could be better than... Um, uh, than, than what's than what's already there, and and you don't have to imagine the whole thing. I mean, games are complicated. There's a lot of software involved, and there are engineers to do that. And sometimes that the idea of how do I take my two dimensional image and get it to animate and move in that way. Sometimes that part alone makes us a little kind of afraid. But if we if we get our if we're a two D graphic designer, for example, and and we know we can do great work there. Uh, we can also trust that there's going to be other people that are that, that are great at animation or other people that are great at, at creating the software that give us the tools to to make things come alive and exist in the, in in the in the program, and uh, and we will work together. Uh, video games, especially at the scale that Gearbox makes, is a massive team effort, and everyone's got a, a, a part to play. Um, but I, I I definitely start with passion. Uh, start with interest. Yeah. All right, well, I'll let her know. She's just too nervous to call you guys. So. Oh, <laughs> that, you know what? I'll tell you. She's just that anxiety, so I just, I, I'm speaking I, on her behalf. I totally now, my get it. Question, Tol I totally get it. And let me tell her something else. Me and before, before you, before you get me a quote, let me, let me give you something else yeah. that you can give to her. Um, I totally get it. And we, we've actually got a lot of people at the studio that um, are, you know, creators are. We're, we're all kind of weirdos, you know, um, and some of us are a lot more comfortable interacting with our computers and our tools and our technology than other people. And I love weirdos. Like, and I, I love people. I love creators. And, and I found at Gearbox that even the, 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 the shyest person or the person that isn't really great at, at interacting live, uh, but, but is is happy and passionate about expressing themselves through their art or through their creativity. Those people are loved at Gearbox yep. and, and, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of us. Um, and this is hard for many people to believe, but when I was young, I was one of those people, like I'm totally on the spectrum and it's one of the reasons why I got into magic. It helped me figure out how to kind of become socialized, I guess. Uh, but I, you know, I was a mess as a kid and I wasn't great at interacting with people and my brother would like invite people over and I would just hide in my room and play video games <laughs> and uh and it's okay it's totally cool um and it's it, it make it makes a lot of sense people are scary <laughs> <It's> yeah, <true. laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes especially like and i i think i've become that person i'm i used to be scared of <laughs> so i try to i try to do my best when i have opportunity to be like super welcoming and and yeah. and just you know try to love everybody if i can um, let's talk about well, it's you. Something I really appreciate. Oh, thanks. I would just want to say something I really appreciate about you, Randy, and everyone at Gearbox, like how you guys present yourself, being so open and flexible and comfortable with people coming and talk to you. Like you're, oh, you're not like you. this foreign, ominous entity that happens to crank out video games. Like, no, we are <laughs> silly, silly geese that just happen to work together and make cool stuff every day. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell yeah. you, I, I've, I've gotten better when I listen, and that's one of the reasons why I'm doing the show is I just want to create another path where people can chat and I can, you know, learn what's going on in folks' minds. Um, uh, and I, and I think it's, I think it's, uh, 
I think the other thing about it too is I think that the relationship that entertainers should have uh, with audiences uh, should be a relationship of mutual respect. And um, I, I th like my wife thinks the thing that's wrong with me is I actually get more reward from seeing other people experience joy than I than when I experience it myself. And that doesn't work unless... I feel like that's the, the artist plight. Yeah, I think yep. there's you a lot of that. Things. It's, it's really more about your... It, it, to me personally, like I get more excited making things for other people than I do for myself. Isn't that interesting? Kind of like... Kind of like I would, I cook better when there are other people around because oh, I know yeah. they're going to eat it yes. and yes. like it. Like yes. I'm more likely to pull out all the sauce, <laughs> but if it's just me, I'm just going to heat up a pack of ramen. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. In fact, like sometimes with my own like stuff, I'll like, I'll defer. Like I, I get, I get sent a lot of cool stuff over the holidays. Um, and it's not because they like, it's like companies trying to, uh, get Gearbox's attention, right? They'll send like the, but I, I just got this box of these unbelievable chocolates <gasps> and they're just, and I love chocolate, uh -huh. but like, I know, I already know what's going to happen. I'm going to sort of save them and hoard them. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then some, at some point I might Go find on. myself, there's other people around going, Hey, here they all are. And then they'll, they'll come out and get shared. <laughs> and I, I, I know they're going to be delicious, but I think, I think I'll actually enjoy them the more when I, when, when I'm with other people that are eating them than if I just eat them myself. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Hey, so what, what did you want to talk about? You had something for you that you wanted to, to get to. All right. It's, it's kind of for me, but it's also kind of for you guys too okay. at the same time. Okay. I just kind of, I kind of want to know how you, you all journeyed into both of you, um, since you're both here, into working in the game industry. I mean, Ooh. like, I can understand where you came from, Randy, but you know, like, I feel like people always have an interesting story of how they get in. You know. Let's, Gosh. Let's so, hear. Let's hear Lisa's story. Well, gather round. <laughs> boys and girls <laughs> we have a little story so um so i have been you know sort of classic etc cetera, etc cetera, playing video games all my life um i actually and 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 you know what i'm just gonna come out and say it um i actually got a a, a matching tattoo with my brother of nes controllers wow a couple of weeks ago are you kidding no, I'm not. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's commitment. Yeah, because... I can imagine getting married and having a few kids, but a tattoo? Yeah. Holy yeah. crap. That's That's, that's, that's real commitment. That's, that's commitment. actually forever. <laughs> that is actually forever. So video games have been a huge thread in my life the, the entire time. But um, the things that I kind of wanted to do um, included being a teacher and um, being a singer uh, and, and I was a huge theater nerd um, when I was kind of in middle school and high school. I, I just wanted to be a performer. I wanted to be an entertainer. Um, but I also wanted Not to be really a teacher. Not really surprised by that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, and so I, I was also a huge nerd and just wanted to stay in school forever because I'm a sucker for, you know, the scent of a fresh textbook. Um, and... So as part of my journeys, um, I, I got a kind of liberal studies major because I wanted to be on Jeopardy, and I figured liberal studies was a good major where I could just learn everything, um, which is the most career-stable move anyone could ever make, which, no. Um, but through the process, I found uh, my first degree uh, 
was women's studies, um, and I felt super, super jazzed about it. And I saw a lot of cool, interesting parallels uh, between what I was learning and what I was experiencing as a woman in a rock band uh, every day. Um, so when it came time to go to graduate school, because I figure, you know, what are the things that you do? You know, when as a day job, the only thing that I could think of as a day job that I wanted to do was teach. Um, and I knew that I had to get an advanced degree to do that. So I went and got my first master's um, in interdisciplinary studies. My first studies. master's. Go ahead. <laughs> dropping that in there. Um, in interdisciplinary <laughs> studies, but I was mainly studying um, like women in popular music because I wanted to teach that class someday. Um, and then when I went to get my PhD because I told myself, hmm, nobody is going to like seeing master's in interdisciplinary studies on a resume because that doesn't mean much of anything. <laughs> All right, start over. All right, I'm going to go get the PhD because, again, I'm a nerd and I guess I crave punishment. Um, so <laughs> Why I, does that have to come with nerddom? <laughs> well, no, I, I just, I just, I just, I just love learning. We just focus. Um, yeah, I, I, I just absolutely <laughs> love... to the nerd. That's yes. right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, but, but, but being a grad student, though, that's where the punishment comes in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, while, while I was, you know, pursuing this stuff and I was pursuing this kind of like gender and popular music study, um, I found that there were also a lot of parallels um, with stuff that I experienced being a woman playing video games. And um, I didn't kind of want to throw away like six years of study in music and just completely start over and study video games. Um, and so I went to my advisor and I told him, hey, I'm having this weird existential crisis where I'm about to throw away six years of work and study video games because who takes that seriously ever? Um, and he says, they make music games, don't they? And then light bulb, of course, Damn. didn't have to throw away six years of work. I could still study video games and all of that jazz. Um, but throughout the entire thing, I always thought that I was going to be a teacher. Um, it wasn't until I met up with this uh, group of women gamers called the Frag Dolls. Um, they were a group of women gamers sponsored by Ubisoft um, to kind of help market their games. And uh, they had a sort of internship program called the Frag Doll Cadets. Um, and I applied to be one. And uh, basically it involved, you know, going and helping promoting games at different shows. And it was when I stepped into my first PAX West and, and it was my first ever video game event. And I sort of went from, you know, being an outsider playing these things to kind of being the person to help educate people like that kind of hit all of the different kind of pleasure centers in my brain of like, I want to educate someone. I want to excite someone. Um, and, and I get to do it all around, video games and that was kind of like my aha moment of like hey you know maybe i don't need to be stuck in the classroom forever maybe there's a way that i can do this um inside an actual video game studio um there's a lot of grind and hustle later um you know <laughs> some somehow i ended up here sitting next to you <laughs> <laughs> Hey, every, no, all, 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 path, all paths work. All paths work. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like I, I didn't even, you know, quote unquote, go to school to study something specific about video games. I just kind of developed skills along the way, like, you know, just in an effort to make money. So like I'm in grad school. I learned how to write. 
I wanted to get nearer and nearer to video games, so my local newspaper had like local conventions and stuff, and they needed somebody to write, you know, top 10 cosplays at, you know, the Miami Convention Center, whatever. And I was the person writing those because I actually knew who those people were and all those costumes were. Um, and so, like, getting all of those skills together between writing and trying to promote stuff that I was writing on social media, so developing those skills there, and then uh, promoting other stuff, you know, via Twitch and YouTube and kind of building those channels, like, all of that stuff kind of came together and kind of developing those skills because I was passionate about them, um, and that's just stuff that I wanted to do. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Journey's kind of taken me to a couple of places, but then there's this new media manager thing that opens up that's like, hey, do you do stuff on Twitch and YouTube? Yes. Are you kind of cool with, like, social media and community <coughs> management stuff? Y yes. Yes. Can you, like, write some stuff and, you know, maybe edit video a little bit? Y yeah. Um, can you do stuff in front of a crowd? What? Yes. Hello. Um, and so, yeah, I... I, I applied and somehow, you know, ended up here. So it's, 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 it's a lot of that, you know, being passionate about the stuff that you do and, and getting, getting super good at it and honing it um, for me over the course of years. But you, you, you eventually end up where you need to be. Every, uh, every, yeah. if, if I've learned that if you look into every overnight success story, it turns out there's like lots, <laughs> lots of, it wasn't overnight it at wasn't all. There's overnight. Lots, no. lots of, lots of stuff that, pre, that's, you know, I, I got into this industry. I started as a, as a programmer and, uh, I, my, my good fortune, uh, was my dad was a nerd. So we always had computers around the house and back before, um, w like when I was growing up, there were no computers in schools. There was no curriculum to learn this stuff in school um and and my dad would kit bash his own he'd make his own machines and make his own computers and then eventually the home uh pc market started opening up with products like apple um and then the apple II, and uh things like i right now my original um 8088 uh, computer, which was a Timex Sinclair 1000. It's actually my original Timex Sinclair 1000 is on display at the Bullock uh, Texas History Museum down in Austin. Did you know that? No! Yeah, they, they started a new video game exhibit and they asked for my first computer. And wow. I, I didn't even know, like, uh, <laughs> what's-his-face took them through, and they just <laughs> took a bunch of our stuff. And then Aaron, Aaron just went down there and said, like, dude, here's your computer. He took a picture of it, and uh, and there's a little thing on about me on there. And it was like, oh, my God, that was, I'm so proud of that. But, yeah, it started with um, uh, me uh, trying to, you know, learn how to use, use the computer. And back when computing first started there was no um there were no programs so like when i got that timex sinclair 1000 that completely changed everything for me before then my dad would just tell me the instructions that the machine would understand uh, but the timex sinclair 1000 came with a manual and the manual didn't like it didn't say things like hey press start you know click the icon there were no icons <laughs> everything was text and, and the manual just had a list of all the instructions you can give the computer uh, and the instructions that is basically the programming language um, and it was this weird form of basic that 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 particular machine understood and uh, and I'd wrote, written some simple programs and eventually I, I wrote a program that was my attempt to recreate Pac-Man at home and my Pac-Man, <laughs> my Pac-Man was amazing. 
Oh, <laughs> the, the computer only had 2K of RAM, so uh, there were no like the the everything was the same block. So the ghost, the ghosts, and Pac-Man looked identical, Ooh. and the block that represented oh Pac-Man looked identical to the blocks that I used to make the walls of the maze. Uh, and there were no dots because I, yeah, I didn't have the fidelity <laughs> to make dots. Also, the computer was not as fast as whatever machine was running Pac-Man. Uh, it was also black and white, but it was so slow that uh, every every move that I would make, I, like I'd click right, up, down, left, or right, um, the the screen would slowly refresh. So it was like turn-based Pac-Man. Oh my gosh! It was awesome. I want to play this. It was turn-based Pac-Man. So I'd move my, you'd, you'd click left and your Pac-Man would move one notch to the left. But but first the whole screen would refresh. You'd hit left and the whole screen would refresh. Draw it up. And then Pac-Man would be one dot over, one, one space over. And it wouldn't be Pac-Man, it'd just be a block. And then all the ghosts <laughs> would move too. The other thing about it was um, I wasn't that good. I was really young. I was like, I think nine years old when I wrote this. And, and there was no great places to learn any of this stuff. So uh, you had to play it on the honor system. There was no collision. You were, it would let you walk right through the wall if you wanted to. So you had to, it was turn-based Pac-Man on the honor system. Uh, what was interesting, though, this is what I, I discovered later. Um, I, did make, uh, I, I did do a check where the ghosts would not try to walk through the walls. Um, and it turns out that that same I could have used that same algorithm to do a check when Pat when when the player decided to move Pac-Man, but I, I just wasn't clever enough to realize that that was a different rudimentary form of collision detection. Uh, the, the the algorithm that I used to keep the ghosts from trying attempting to walk into a wall uh, could have been applied as a as a preemptive test before I allowed Pac-Man to to be moved into the wall by the player. Anyway, early days, <laughs> early days, I was learning stuff. Um, and I, I attempted once to, to make D&D uh, Dungeons and Dragons in this computer. Uh, and I, I, by the time I consumed all the RAM, I had barely made the, the character generator. So I never <laughs> even got into any. Uh, but I did learn how to set up a dimensional array. I did actually have a bit of a game. It had four rooms. And I started you in, in one room, and you can go north or west. And there was another room that was to the northwest. So you'd have to go through one room and the other. And in one room I had a shield, and the other room I had a sword, and then that corner room was a dragon. And if you had both the sword and the shield, uh, you would survive one turn. If you, you'd survive <laughs> one turn if you had the shield. And if you rolled high enough and you got the right stats, your sword could do enough damage with two two attacks to kill the dragon. And that was like, and that was a complete game in my my world back then. And, uh, but I, I, a similar thing to you, man, I was going to school for, um, I was trying to be a lawyer. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I was, and, uh, it turns out, uh, that probably would have been a bad decision. Um, cause I, I'm, I think, I think the world is better <laughs> off. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Not, 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 <laughs> not because, not because of the games, just, we need less lawyers. Right. Uh, That's no, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh man. But it was, uh, yeah, I learned a lot though. I did. I learned a lot in that. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that experience because as I started my own <laughs> stuff, I was able to do all the contract negotiations and do the mm -hmm. contracts on my own. And, uh, and it's helped me a lot, uh, over the years to have, have some background in that. But, um, but yeah, and, and I, I, but I never realized you could actually make a career out of making games. I, I was a game developer as a hobbyist as long as I could remember. Uh, but I always thought that the really awesome stuff, like the actual Pac-Man, like that's impossible. Like my Pac-Man sucked, right? That Pac-Man, like there had to be, you know, some giant 
huge place somewhere and they had to like, I mean, there had to be a chocolate river and Oompa Loompas <laughs> and who knows what and all this magic would happen and then the, the video game would pop out on the other end and then all of it seemed just so inaccessible. And I think like, if you think about, like if you go back to the thinking about um, graphic design or whatever you're into, um, my text adventure Pac-Man was to actual Pac-Man what like, whatever your specialization is. And I was worried about like, gosh, somebody like knows how to like build this beautiful cabinet out of wood. And they're, I don't know how they're getting a sticker that big to put on the side of the <laughs> cabinet with the art that looks so great and the art's beautiful and, and the things are lighting up and somebody's doing the electrical engineering on all that. And, uh, and, and of course, you know, the, the game graphics are all animated and, uh, and look great. Um, but uh, but but it turned out what I had what I was doing I, I was solving really difficult problems right I had, I had this limited amount of memory and this little limited amount of computing power but I adapted what my intent was to fit within it and I made something cohesive that worked uh, and was complete and and actually functioned as a as a as a complete piece of software and that 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 was a bunch of different skills that culminate over the years into my role which is more of a, like uh, organizing a larger vision and seeing how all the pieces can fit together and fitting them within whatever the constraints are which is usually about time and budget and the computing power of the machine we're we're trying to get on um, uh, but but everyone's got a specialization and everyone everyone can you know lean into that and get really really good at that that thing that they're good at uh, and that's that's what I recommend I don't know if that was any at all interesting to you. I just <laughs> no. I, I'm I'm glad to kind of hear you guys because a few weeks ago I actually visited Gearbox Studios. Oh, you I, did! I'm hey. a fan artist. Yeah, yeah. I actually saw both of you, but you're all busy, oh, so man. I did not act like a nut and go get me all business. Um, <laughs> but cool. I. Uh, that's rare that we give tours, who, by the way. So congratulations, we do not give tours. Yeah, it well, really it was a, one of my friends actually works for you for you guys, oh, and she's cool. wonderful. And it was a birthday gift. She was like, "Hey, oh, drive three hours to Dallas, and you know, That's uh, it so was cool. honestly one of the best days of my life." Because, That's so awesome. Um, because I personally have been, I've been kind of going around trying to figure out what I want to do. I'm an yeah. artist and. I've always done art. I do comics. I love film, video games, animation, storytelling, and I've always thought I'd be going into film. Yeah. Eventually, one day, uh -huh. hopefully, who knows? But I visited you guys, and I don't know. Like, I guess I'm what I'm trying to say is like after I visited you guys, I realized that that's what I want to be doing. That's awesome. That's awesome. I and, I, I agree with you. That's yeah, what I want to be like, doing. Like I I want to go into concept <laughs> art and yeah. illustration and working uh -huh. in that way. Cause cool. That just seems to be where all my things land. It's like, oh my god, this is exactly what I want to be doing. That's uh, awesome! Yay! And, well, I'll tell you, we need more people I, like I, you. It's been a very clarifying month for Rachel. Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah. well, that's great. Well, we Good. need more people like you. We need uh, more Rachels. One of the things you'll notice—I don't know how much time you spent at the studio, but um, the, the the industry still has the ratio of men to women does not. It's not yet. Where, what the population is, but we need to entertain everybody. And so I'm really one of the kind of things that I'm, I'm want and not, not just the ratio, the ratio of men to women, but all, all diversity. Um, I want, I want to make sure if our mission is to entertain the world that we are of the world. And, uh, and so we need, we need, I, th I think, I think people that, um, are in, um, 
demographics that are underrepresented in the industry, I think, I think actually have uh, advantages, uh, especially with a studio like mine that cares about. Well, the, whenever you have diversity, the more diversity you have, the better story you can tell. That's correct. Yep. Exactly right. You just to, you to just said simple, better what to, I was like, trying sum to it say. Up. It's just <laughs> the more diverse yeah. your your people are, the more diverse ideas you're going to have. Yep. Because you're going to have different perspectives and approaches. You just said um, in a better way what I was trying <laughs> to say. Thank you. <laughs> you can tell cooler stories, and <laughs> you can... that's ultimately why I'm I'm such a big Gearbox fan. I've been playing you guys' games since Borderlands One, and oh cool. I'm, always been so amazed by just the development and the willingness to do things that everyone else in the industry says is too dangerous to do, which isn't that scary. Right. Um, absolutely. And we, we do take risks. They don't always pay off by the way. Yeah. So if you have like, yeah, and that, I, I that's know. the other thing too, by the way, with your art, um, when, when we, when we approach things sincerely, like it is, it's really easy to kind of be sarcastic about things and to approach our craft with a, a bit of reservation that comes with not really investing ourselves. But when we approach, like when you approach art sincerely, man, you can get hurt because uh, you give something, your love and your commitment and people like you, you, we can never really control how people react to our work. And, uh, it's, it's, you can get hurt when you put yourself out there. So you have to be willing to, you know, expose yourself, um, in that way. Uh, and, 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 and let, you know, let that happen and be okay with, with, with the consequences and feel better about the fact that there was sort of a sincere commitment to the art than, uh, needing everyone's uh, approval of it. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, there, there's always love, but yeah. there's also like, it doesn't matter what game we're talking about. There's always love and there's always hate. And, uh, but when we, when you do it sincerely, uh, it's the hates really can be rough. So you got to be careful and bit, figure out how to build that shell too. Um, because that, that hate is designed to keep people like you from creating. And that's not good. Exactly. The world sucks if no one creates anything because we're all afraid. So we need to be okay with it and be okay creating and be okay with the possibility that we, that, that, that we could get hurt from it. So I just, just a fair warning on that one, but, uh, it's very rewarding. Yeah. It's very, very rewarding, um, to, uh, to create something that other people, other people dig. I'm super glad. Well, I'm about to put myself through that because I'm actually putting my portfolio together to send to you guys. Hooray! Oh, cool! What you guys think? Awesome. Yay. Um, but but I I definitely am feeling that. Well, I'm putting myself out there, and at the very least, I'll get some criticism. Yeah, <laughs> or, or the, you've done it. You've yeah. you've done it, and and here's the thing. Yeah, like, exactly. We, that's that's the 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 one thing is I'll yeah. have had done this. And, and, the, and that's that's that. that's the key too is keep doing stuff, especially if you've never put a portfolio together before. Everything I've ever done, the first one or ten times I do it, I'm I tend to suck at it, frankly. Um, and and one the biggest advantage that creators have uh, over lay people is lay people can't fathom the amount of time we're willing to invest into what we do. Um, that's really it. We'll just yeah. put stupid amounts of time into what we do. And, uh, and, you, and if you just keep, if you keep doing it and keep putting time at it, eventually you're kind of, you kind of notice that you're, 
you kind of you're kind of ahead of the people around you. Um, not everybody. There's always going to be people ahead of you to, to get inspiration from. Um, but but you'll also get your own spin, and you'll be doing something that no one else is doing, and that 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 sets you apart. And that just naturally happens when when you put the time in. So whatever happens, uh, keep doing it. Yep. Regardless of what happens, just keep going, keep going, keep going. That is the that is yeah. the entire secret. Hey Rachel, it's been really awesome talking with you. Um, if, if it's been if, great talking with and, you guys, and Please. feel free if you want to call back on on future shows or whatever, uh, feel free. Uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. If it's okay, I'm gonna let you go, and we're gonna take another call. That's fine. Thank you so much, Thanks, Rachel. It's Rachel. a pleasure I took chatting up with a you. Lot of air. No, it was great. I really enjoyed. Thank talking you. No, this with is you. awesome. Cool. Thanks. All right. Talk to you later, right. Rachel. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, that was Rachel. And um, now let's do, let's take a call from Discord. Yes. And I just dragged this. Just dragged them all the way into the live on air section. This is going to happen. Oh boy, I hope this works. We'll see. Uh, Hello, hello. Hey, Hey. are you on the air? Hello, Lola. I think you're on the air. Uh, What's your name? My name's, uh, my real name's Richard, and Richard. I'm from Australia. Richard from Australia. Very nice to talk to you. I'm Randy. I'm I, I'm from California. I live in Texas. Awesome. You're on the show, um, man. I, I actually have a game idea for you, but I want to ask a Battleborn-related question okay. first. Okay. If that's okay with yeah, you. Yeah, let's do it. What are your thoughts on the idea of... I suppose either open sourcing or NDAing the information you would need to make an offline mode for Battleborn. Ooh. Oh, um, I, I like that idea a lot. Um, I, um, mm-hmm. I, I've been, <laughs> I was advocating from day one on that project that we should support offline. And um, there's a whole lot of reasons why um, the, the folks on the project weren't, weren't able to go all the way with that. Um, yeah. but, but I love the fact that you just asked that cause you're giving me more ammo. You're giving me more ammo. Yeah, well, it, it's, um, it's like, I've, I've thought about it and like the way like you'd approach it with the least amount of, um, I suppose messing with the code is to do like an, I suppose it's called like an emulator where it, um, you know, like the game still thinks it's online, but yeah. it's actually talking to a local I suppose, server yeah. that, you know, that's probably the- that's probably the easiest way to technically accomplish that, and I think that that becomes more and more accessible as computing power increases, uh, but mm. the software staying the same. Um, the the there there's there is a thread that is exactly in, along the lines of why you asked that question that I have with uh, the Battleborn team, um, and uh, that. I, that that thread has to get some definitive answer. Um, I'd say, I hope within the next, you know, four to six months. Um, yeah, cause, I cause I think there needs to when... be something there. I I will be very very sad if our publishing partner decides to shut it down and that's it. So I I think yeah. we need to create conditions because I I love the game and I think there's a lot of people that love playing the game. And, uh, and, and just simply preserve in it. So yeah, that way absolutely. That too. Other yeah. people can check it out later. Yeah. And I, I, I have some ambitions for, ba- for Battleborn as well, as does uh, Sean Reardon, who's executive producer with me on uh, the Battleborn franchise, and, uh, and Randy Varnell, who's the creative director. And I, and I think those, those ambitions 
uh, there'll be something that happens with that. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff there that, that has a future. Um, but, but what you ask about specifically, I think something along those lines, if not exactly what you asked, uh, uh, should, should be, uh, not merely considered, but so there needs to be some action along those lines, uh, mm. it's, at some point. And, and I, I, I absolutely endorse that and support that. Um, uh, know, know that there's lots of people involved. <laughs> so it's not, uh, even though I'm, you know, I'm the boss of Gearbox, one of the weird things about working with people um, is it doesn't, uh, uh, the, the idea of hierarchy is useful for communication and a bit for decision making. But if you want to get really awesome creative work to happen, you can never run it like a, a, a totalitarian dictatorship mm. because uh, people do what they want and people do what they're, what they're motivated to do, what they believe in and what they're, what they're proud of. And so uh, the, the, the sometimes, um, and I'm, I'm speaking generally, I'm kind of outside the scope of what you were specifically asking about, but I'm sort of going into um, how it can be that anything happens that has the gearbox logo on it that I might not even support. <laughs> uh, and it's because we have lots of awesome creative people involved and because, uh, they can't be awesome and creative if everybody does only what I say there is to do, because I can't say everything. There's just too much stuff. Uh, so what we do is we develop a flat structure with a huge amount of autonomy and the people within the studio, uh, get to own their domain and make decisions about their domain. And uh, what you're talking about isn't precisely in my domain. I technically have authority over it, but every time I swing that stick, it gets shorter and weaker. <laughs> so I've got to be careful about how I use that stick. Um, but uh, but I'm, I've been campaigning for that, and I'm, gra I'm glad you called and asked and advocated for that because that gives more ammunition, more support for the idea of, of some kind of uh, support yeah, for, well, for I've, offline I've seen, modes. I've seen there's a lot of um, like some of the really like core fans there when the initial news from Varnell popped up, they were, you know, it's like, like being having part of you ripped out, you know, like the idea that at some point in time they won't be able to play the game anymore. So, yeah, um, I yeah, um, unfortunately awesome. I didn't get to see that message, and even Randy himself, like the message he wrote, that was the, the message had gotten kind of mutated a bit by some other folks, and uh, I don't think that was neither Randy nor myself think that was an optimal message. And, uh, uh, but you know, it's, it's out there. So, um, but yeah, that, that was, that was rough, uh, for me as a player too. Uh, and, and the thing is, it's not entirely accurate. Um, there, there are people that care about, I, I mean, even since then there's been, there's been some things that have happened with Battleborn. Um, but yeah, it, the, the, the reality though is, um, we are in a world where most of our company's attention is on uh, new things that are in development. Uh, so it gets increasingly difficult to support past things. Um, I, I can't remember the, when we did the last patch for Borderlands 2, for example, or the pre-sequel. Yeah. It's been a while. Um, I can remember the last Battleborn patch, but there will be time in the future where I won't be able to remember that either. <laughs> uh, but that's because we're working on new things. And, uh, and if we're lucky, uh, those new things are exciting too, and people will love it yeah. if we're lucky. <laughs> um, hey, what, what you wanted to talk about a game idea? That, speaking of new things, let's go on to that. 
All right, so um, my game idea, um, it'd be, I suppose, a mobile app or, or some sort of, you know, like more handheld sort of experience. Okay. And it'd style, you know, the thralls from Battleborn? Yeah. All right, so it'd style, style one of the little thralls and uh-huh. he'd have a top hat. Okay. And he would be be like a side scroller and the way he'd go through the levels, right, and, you know, his goal would be to obviously, um, like maybe maybe he's like, you know, trying to join the resistance or um, maybe maybe he's uh, fighting for his own beliefs or something. Okay. Um, but because uh, one thing I noted because I've looked at like a lot of the game data is that the thralls in particular, they all actually share the same model. Um, like so, and so they like the the little thrall is actually a normal size thrall with his head increase. Uh-huh. And so I thought what could be cool with that is that he could have different like Super Mario power ups where you know he finds an item and he transforms into one of the more beefier um, thralls to take out obstacles. You know, so he might turn into one of the big enforcers to blow out a wall or something. <laughs> and you know, the the main enemies he'd fight would be the Varelsi. But he might also have the Battleborn shooting in from the side. So you might have like Toby, you know, like doing like a first person heads up shooting at the screen and he's got to dodge all of his, you know, shots because it's, you know. Uh-huh. Um, hmm. What are you, so um, what are your favorite side scrollers? Have you played a lot of side scrollers? Uh, yeah, I've definitely done a lot of Mario. Um, yeah. What's the most and, recent side scroller you played? Oh, um,. Probably in Mario. I, would, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you which one because there's been a few of them. But yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, uh, I love side scrollers. Um, it's a really challenging genre right now. Um, you have to be careful if you're in the business of video games. You have to be careful how much you spend when making side scrollers. Um, Mario is arguably the most successful side scroller of all time, and mm. uh, and and even. Even with Mario, uh, you know, Nintendo has to be careful. Like Mario Maker, I think they consider a success, um, but we'll notice that when it came time to do a Mario, a new Mario game for their new platform, the Switch, they went full, you know, 3D uh, and uh, third person with it. Uh, the Mario Odyssey, of course, uh, and I don't know why, but there seems to be a bias. Um, and, and forgive me if I, if I ask, how, how old are you? Um, I'd be, I'm 28 since right. then. There, it's when you get down to like below the age of, of 17, um, there's a real bias against side scrollers. Huh. Uh, and I don't know why, but the younger the audience is, the more immature they think that that kind of game is. Um, yeah, they don't see it as a real game. So that's right. That's right. It's weird. It's weird. Um, so, but it's there is a there, it is possible. You can do it. Um, the other thing too that I, I'd say about that, I, I love. By the way, I love the premise of a thrall and a top top hat. I mean, anything with a top hat, and I, I especially a thrall. And I love the premise of uh, you have like you had a few really clever ideas in there. Obviously, things that let you change your capability so that you can layer the gameplay or what you have access to. Um, I call that Metroidvania kind of style gameplay so that if there's an obstacle I can't get through until I have the ability to become Big Thrall and then Big Thrall can smash through a thing. Like that's that's great, right? I love that kind of stuff. Um, uh, the other great idea that I heard was the idea where you're in a side-scroller gameplay but there is 
the 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 sort of Z axis mm -hmm. uh, is is utilized. Mm -hmm. You called it like Toby shooting at you from the first person. I imagine he's actually kind of in the background shooting towards the screen, and you have to dodge his action. Ah. Um, you can do it the other way, of course, where he is the FPS view shooting into the screen, and and you have to dodge uh, dodge his action um, with your with your two D side scroller gameplay. But that's that's pretty cool, and I love that kind of. Um, perspective breaking when you're talking about a genre that has a fixed camera. Uh, perspective breaking is really cool and can be a fun experience. Unfortunately, it's not something that you can use to sustain an entire gameplay, but like when it, when it appears, it's really fun as a one-off. Mm -hmm. um, so the, like, congrats, Manny. Those are some really clever thoughts that you had uh, into this. Um, the, uh, but, but in general, um, the, the thing I'd criticize in the, in the idea is, uh, it's very difficult as a mobile experience mm. to do justice with the side scroller, uh, in the way that you traditionally think about side scrollers because virtual joysticks suck. Uh, mm. there, there have been some games that have pulled it off, but they're just, it's just not great. A virtual joystick is not a great way to play a game and customers on mobile don't tend to prefer virtual joysticks. Uh, now, there was a Mario game that was a mobile game that got away with it. They didn't do a virtual joystick. They just made it a one-touch one kind of game system. Yeah. And it worked. Uh, it, it, it played upon the forward momentum, the forced forward momentum that we kind of feel when we play a Mario game. And they kind of made that feel okay. But I'd still argue, as great as that is, it's still not the best implementation of any 2D side-scrolling Mario game. Um, there are, it's the simplest perhaps, and maybe the most accessible because of that simplicity, uh, but it's not the best. Um, and so I, you, you'd hate to compromise something. So I'd rather see the game that you imagine on a platform with a joystick, like a, like a switch or a Vita, uh, uh, or, uh, God forbid a DS, uh, or, or you could do it. You could do it on, and not that I don't like the DS, but since the switch happened, it's like, uh, yeah. why, why, why do I care about that anymore? Uh, now I, I know I'm fortunate enough to have a switch and I know not everyone can upgrade and, and get a new system every time they come out. But, um, uh, and there are still a lot of DS gamers out there playing Nintendo DS, um, but it gets it gets harder and harder to sell software. The other thing too is whenever you imagine you're going to begin a game process, you have to look ahead to what the market's going to be like in a year or two or three or four, or however long it takes to actually make the game, which uh, which is very hard to predict. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I think Switch or a successor to it will be here. Um, and, I, and there's always room for games like what you're talking about to exist uh, either on Steam or on the AAA consoles, but not as a big, it won't be a big budget game. It'll be kind of an indie, it'll feel like an indie thing. Yeah, uh, I, I wasn't imagining it'd be a big game. It'd, it'd be yeah. intentionally like a small, you know, like small snack sort of game that mm -hmm. you just play. Sort of yeah. like that, that Battle on Tap, um, you know, yeah. where it was is yeah. very, very light on the actual yeah. um, gameplay, but it was... It kept you playing it. Wasn't um, the art great in that? Those guys, um, it's a, that was a team in, um, they were in Barcelona, Spain. And they're little, they're little guys, the little kind of almost chibi versions of the dudes that they did were so cool. I love their art style in Battleborn Tap. I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, and yeah, it was, and it's super accessible, right? They just did one button, you know, one, you, the whole screen was a button, you just tap anywhere and, and it worked. Mm. Um, yeah, that's cool, man. 
Hey, anything else you want to talk about since you're uh, since you're on the line with um, us? No, I suppose just any other thing is with with mobile apps is what I'd probably do more of would be more API driven sort of apps. So you know, like say for instance, if you've got a game like Borderlands or something that has like an inventory, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be cool to have a way to actually interact with that off your screen. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, um, we, we're thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, now we had a very light interaction when we deployed, um, you know, our, our shift uh, service. Uh, we had an app in Borderlands Two era called Loot the World. Yeah, I'm not sure if you were familiar with that. I'm you know, I'm not sure is it still yeah, live. It it, it it wasn't available outside of the U.S. That's true. Yeah, and that 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 um, wasn't our fault for some reason. The lawyers were nervous about that, and I don't I don't know why. And I wish uh, I wish they would just let it ride and then see what happened. But um, uh, but there was some reason why they were nervous about that in other territories. But but we have now a capability of moving data around uh, from the game to our online infrastructure, and then with the data there, we can get at it or move it around anywhere else. And that's that's one of the features of Loot the World. You could you know, scan a barcode basically, and it would randomly generate a, a weapon in Borderlands. And if you liked it, you can send it to your backpack in the actual game of Borderlands. That's awesome. And uh, and and that's that was just kind of like a we were really testing that technology with that application just to to see if everything worked, and we were trying to prepare ourselves for future steps using that that technology. Um, I love that kind of thing. I I do. I will say though that. Um, when we're building, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and I, we, the, the trouble we tend to have is we want to prioritize every reasonable ounce of activity we can prioritize towards the main game, uh, towards the main game. So, uh, while we proved that technology, I have a feeling that we won't dig into it again until we have a successful game already launched that not only demands that technology to be used in a way that supports the game, but the resources are available to be prioritized towards that. And that priority makes sense. Uh, and, and we haven't experienced that since we did loot the world. So, but, but I think, I think we will experience that with at least one of our upcoming games. And I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I, I think there's a really good chance that that, that is true. Uh, and, and there'll be some neat opportunities for that. But it's really neat that we have that infrastructure now and that capability now. And I, I yeah. do, I do oh, if, if you've followed much of um, Bungie's Destiny, yeah. uh, the whole API, like initially it started off as a private thing, but it's by, by the time the second game came out, it actually became something that was also built so that the um, community could build stuff with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there have been some really cool apps that have come out of it, particularly like the item management. Like in the early uh, in early years of Destiny 1, it was literally a game changer that made the game more playable. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. having that avenue might you know, create some experiences. I'm a, I'm a big fan of user-generated content. I, I've got I've got a figure out a way to get more evangelists within our company. But, you know, if you go back to the history of Gearbox, up until Brothers in Arms, every single game we did, we released some kind of editor, SDK, toolkit. Um, And starting around Brothers in Arms, there was some reason why that wasn't 
achievable with Brothers in Arms itself. And, uh, and, and again, and I, I, we made multiple attempts at SDKs in Borderlands 1 and Borderlands 2, um, where I, I had committed some resources to it, but it just didn't, it just didn't get there. And, uh, and that's frustrating. <laughs> uh, and, but and I'm, I'm going to keep that, swinging at that. The community have actually made a few community sure. patches. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. That's, and I love cool. that. I love that kind of thing. And I, I mean, I used to do that. I still actually still do. There are games I tinker with, um, uh, and mod on my own other people's games. So I love, I love having that access and I think it's another path of engagement. And I also think it sometimes spawns, um, some cleverness that can become part of the main, main line. And, uh, and I think that's great. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> hey man. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for chatting. Um, I'm going to let you go. Is that okay? Yeah. Cool. And okay. you can feel free. We Thanks can talk. We can talk next week if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I still got more questions. Awesome. Well, call, call, <laughs> awesome. call us back next week. It was fun talking with you, man. Thanks, Alliance. All right. Talk to you later. Catch you later. Bye. Great. That was awesome. There you go. That was really awesome. Lowlines, one of our amazing uh, community members, um, yeah. had had great questions last week. Brought it again this week. Hopefully, can bring some more next week. <laughs> that was cool, and I I really dig that game idea. Actually, um, you know, we we keep we've been flirting for a while with different kinds of uh, simpler gameplay kind of styles, whether it's like a top-down game or a two D side-scrolling game. With uh, any of our of our franchises, we've played with these premises, and over and over, what tends to happen is. Uh, whether we get into that or not, we th then we just prioritize effort on our main line, you know. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to like deal with that. I, I mean, the only thing I can think of, it's it's sort of a combination of money and talent, right? The the number the number of people we have that are capable, and how much can we afford to spend in that direction, and. Uh, you know, I I love that stuff though. I really wish I really wish we could do more of that. Because there have been so many great ideas within Gearbox for that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what we get to. Mm -hmm. um, so hey, uh, we, oh gosh, it is it is almost. We time, are almost good out sir. of time. So what what uh, before we sign off? Uh, is there is there anything else you'd like to, to share <laughs> or, or chat about before we uh, before we say goodbye for this episode of At Nerdvana Live? Maybe I will tease something that we could talk about that somebody brought up in the Twitch chat that maybe we could discuss more in depth next week. Okay. And that okay. is what our game of the year is. Ooh. Oh, that's a great, you know, since yeah. we just had, we just had the game awards. Yep. Uh, that's on everyone's mind. Uh, you know what? I will, I will think about what my game of the year is. Mm-hmm. You do the same. I will do the same. And you do the same. You. Uh, and, we, you know, we can argue about what is... In fact, maybe we should talk about... It. It's it's going to be award season from now until basically March of next year. Yeah. <laughs> it always weirds me out when they do awards. Like, that's the thing I don't like about the Game Awards. They do it in December. And it seems like... How do you... The year isn't even over. Not everything's even launched. Yeah. And here we mm. are. Yeah. But that's a conversation we could dig into yeah, yeah, next yeah, week. Yeah. But I don't I don't know that if it's I think that shows I mean that to for that show to succeed. Yeah, I'm sorry, we we're getting it. Maybe we should, 
<laughs> we, maybe we should get into that. We'll get into that next week. Um, guys, it's been awesome spending some time with you. Thanks for everyone Yay. who called in. Thanks for everyone who's listening to the to the show or, or watching the show. Uh, if uh, if you want to talk to to me, uh, I will. I think I will be on again next week. Uh, and uh, uh, and and do you want to do it again or should we? Sure. Okay, great. And and one thing yeah. we'll do is we'll start swapping me out and her out and getting some guests. Uh, hosts and co-hosts in here um, and, and doing that thing and uh, and that'll be fun and maybe talk to some different kinds of people at Gearbox Software as well as some of our friends uh, throughout the industry but in this uh, in this context I think uh, I think we've had a good show I would say so as well as always if you want to talk to us and about the show even afterwards please feel free to join the discord and be a part of the community um we also have sub forums up um as a subset of the gearbox forum so you can discuss the show um and we're also going to be sharing more little clips so in case you miss the whole show you know we could give you a couple of pint-sized nuggets for you to digest throughout the week and as always if you missed any of this you could catch the video on demand on twitch and youtube as well as the podcast on itunes and wherever fine podcasts are free (laughs) (laughs) great we'll see you next week see you guys cheers